following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I wish I could sit with you personally today. I wish I could ask you a personal question. If we could sit together in a quiet place, I would ask you, what is Jesus saying to you today? Now, you have several options. You can can flee. You can give me some piece of theology that you have garnered in your life. Or you can honestly speak about what Jesus is saying to you. The latter would be most startling. Because God does speak to his people. And what he says is usually said in a still small voice, although there have been times when I have been particularly dense when he has shouted at me. God speaks to his people. The word says that the sheep know the master's voice. Do you know the voice of God? Can you discern the voice of Jesus in the spirit separate from your own voice? It's vital in these days that we not just have theology. We must know Jesus. We must be intimate with Jesus. We must Do as he did. He said, I am not going to do or say anything without the Father giving me direction. How long would you have to sit and do nothing before you could hear Jesus give you any kind of specific direction for your day? Would you recognize that direction if given? Or would you be unable to discern the voice of God. Now, part of what we have to be very clear about in our study of the book of Hebrews, but it's not just Hebrews, it's all of Scripture. There is really one topic that is addressed. Now, I recognize that the Bible is a library of books written over a long span of time under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It is God-breathed. I know it addresses many kinds of questions. It has wonderful history, poetry, While it is not intentionally a book of science, much science is described accurately in the word. 
But all of that is wrapped around one central focus. And that is the issue of sin and how God deals with it and what the consequences of not allowing God to deal with it in our hearts will be for us. God desires to deal with every man and every woman with the issue of sin. It's not something we can push aside. It's not something we can ignore. It is literally the central focus of all of Scripture. The question could be asked, why did Jesus sacrifice himself on Calvary? Why did God come down amongst us, live among us, and then die on Calvary? Hebrews answers that question in this way. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 26. It is God's purpose to completely remove sin from this universe. And more specifically, from your life and my life. That is his goal. That is what he is about. He is about removing the sin from our hearts and our lives so that we can be in fellowship with him, that we can be in family relationship with him, that he can take us into glory as his bride without spot and without blemish. Verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear or to separate from sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you today waiting for Jesus without sin? If you are not waiting for Jesus today without sin, there can only be one possible reason. Because you have not yet understood or received or been willing to be crucified, that Jesus might deal with the sin of your heart and prepare you for eternity. It's a strange thing, but we human beings are very possessive. And we became immediately upon birth possessive of our own life. Watch a child as he screams for a bottle. We are very protective, very defensive, and very insistent upon owning our own lives. And then the gospel of Jesus comes, and it tells us that if you're going to live for eternity, you cannot save your life now. You must give your life up to Jesus Christ. 
Well, in all of that, and as we're going to begin studying again in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, leading us on then into the 11th chapter, which is called by many the faith chapter. And I have to tell you that that many, many people only read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. They don't lead they don't read any of the rest of it. Probably more sermons have been preached on the 11th chapter of, of Hebrews than almost any other passage in Scripture. Faith, faith, faith. But faith is in context. Chapter 11 is not a separate book of the Bible. It's not separated out from Scripture. It is a natural flowing out of chapter 10 into chapter 11, and then into chapter 12. We have to study these things as they flow one thing into another to understand God's perspective as he deals with the sin issue. And again, chapter 11 is primarily about how God has dealt with sin in the past and how he wants to deal with it now in your life. Let's be clear, sin is treason against the God of heaven. Sin is the determination that I will be in rebellion against God so that I can own and control and be in charge of my own life. I want to be the one who chooses what is right and what is wrong for me. And if I choose to be in charge of what is right or wrong, I am feasting on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the result will be that I will die. There is only one tree in the garden that we need now, and that is the tree of life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so now as, as we look more deeply into the 10th chapter of, of Hebrews and we begin then to move toward that incredible chapter 11 regarding faith, we need to understand once more in review who is Jesus Christ. And immediately the book of Hebrews opened in chapter 1 with a description of who this Jesus truly is. And I say is because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Chapter 1 in the book of Hebrews, we read, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you understand? Jesus was not the son before he was incarnated, before he became a human person. All of the names of God are salvation names. The name Son is a salvation name. 
Jesus became the only begotten Son of God. The word in John 3.16, begotten, means one of a kind, the only one like this. So God, who is one, manifests himself in three persons, and he manifests himself as the Son of And he was appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. God made the universe through the person of God that we call the Son today. He was pre-existent. There has never been a time when God the Son did not exist. He is co-equal with God. He is God. He is omnipresent. He has all of the characteristics of being fully God. And it is through this manifestation of God that the universe was made. In verse 3 of chapter 1, that's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. In other words, the sun is the manifest glory of God that showed himself as he was born in Bethlehem. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I want you to note, please, after he provided purification for sins. It does not say after he provided a covering for sins. Jesus, when he died on the cross, did not cover your sins. The whole issue of Jesus' coming was not to cover your sins and pretend that you were righteous. It was literally to purify you, to cleanse you. Now, part of what makes this whole study so very painful for me and so very difficult for you is that we live in the context of the culture of our day where sin is very acceptable, is vaunted, is lifted up as righteousness even in the church. The pastor of a mega church in this northern Virginia area. I ask him the question, is your church a worldly church? Without missing a beat, he answered, yes, of course it's a worldly church. I said, what do you mean? He said, we have the entertainment that attracts the world. We have the programs that attract the world. 
why I ask. He said, because we hope that after they come into the church and they enjoy the worldly music and the entertainment, some of them will find a way to Jesus. I said to him, are you still walking in sin? He said, of course, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Absolutely misusing that Romans 3 passage, taking it out of context and using it to justify a worldly lifestyle that he lives as he feasts on everything of darkness. He's hip, he's cool. Sinners love him because he never rebukes sin and he never talks about it. He does not deal with blood. He does not call people to righteousness. All he wants to do is get people to say, yes, I'll receive Jesus and declare them saved. And of course, they're not saved. He's he's lying at every level of his ministry, but he has a mega church and he's packing them in. This breaks my heart. This is what makes it so difficult for us to begin understanding what the true word of God is, that a person who comes to Jesus will no longer walk in rebellion or independence. They will no longer walk feasting on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They will totally cast the world out of their heart and out of their life by the power of the blood of Jesus and they will no longer walk in sin and they will not be struggling as I spoke with one dear sister she said I'm trying to overcome this temper I don't want to curse anymore well we've not been called to self-improvement. We've been called to be crucified with Christ, to give up our lives to him, to recognize that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that what he did on the cross was an act that purifies every man or every woman, every boy or girl who honestly desires Jesus Christ. Now, today, we cannot tell the difference between the church and the world. They have become blended together, and the Church of America has become a center of social and entertainment activity. It's a place where you go and have coffee and donuts and talk with each other and laugh and joke and hook up for dinner. It's a place where the preacher is inspirational and hip and shows pieces of movies and videos on the screen as he talks about them and applies some Reader's Digest lesson. Some strategy for how you can be more successful in your life. Some self-improvement ideas that you might like to share and even lessons of morality. I listened to one megachurch pastor this last week. I know him from years ago. He taught a very fine lesson on morality. 
And believe me, I completely agreed with what he was saying. It is important that we be taught lessons of morality. I want children to be taught stories and lessons of of moral values. But if we're simply teaching moral values to a person so that they can be more successful in this world and in their career while they are filthy in their sin and they see the advantage of their moral lessons so that they can have less conflict in their lives and get along better with people and be more successful in their chosen careers, we have totally missed what the scriptures desire us to know. Many wonderful moral people will find themselves in hell because they were never transformed, never born from above, never made metamorphosed into new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now, it's hard to come and teach this when the majority of people that you're going to meet who call themselves Christians are in total opposition to what this broadcast teaches. But see, I cannot... I cannot be satisfied with the high watermark of today's church because the high watermark of today's church is in the mud of the past churches, of the churches of history, of John Bunyan's teaching in Pilgrim's Progress. The high watermark of today's churches and today's church experiences are in the mud of the historic Christian church. And so I sound very old-fashioned and out of place in today's culture. And yesterday I shared with you a portion of what happened in the Roaring Twenties with the radical change in dress and lifestyle. And then again in the 70s with the hippies there was a In the 60s, there was a radical change in the moral structure of America with free sex, with free everything. It's hard to go into a a coffee shop and not have to shield your eyes from the pornographic dress of the women and some of the men. That is the American culture today, and if you go to church, you'll find women dressed in pornographic clothing, even in church. And I say, Lord, how do I even begin to talk about all these issues? How do I talk about what true Christianity is. We've lost the Christian faith in America today. We have churches on every corner. We have pastors paid better than any pastors in the history of the world. We have facilities unmatched and they're full of pagans spray painted with Jesus, cotton candy Jesus. We have churches that are carnivals 
concert halls, entertainment centers, not churches worth a crucified people, a purified people, a washed people. How do I even come and talk about this and be understood? I just cry out to Jesus and say, oh Lord, this is an impossible assignment you've given me. I have no strength to do this. I have no power to do this. This is a work that only you can do if if you're willing to bring life back into the American church. I know focusing on theology will not convert a man. I know it's only as we look at the law and we look at the desperate sin of the heart and we see how far short we are of Jesus. Jesus loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. And his threat in Revelation was to remove the Holy Spirit from the churches. And most churches today have had the Holy Spirit removed. And they continue unabated in their religious activity as though everything were normal. The religious words flow. The scriptures are read. The music and the dancing continue. But it's a sham. Oh, people say, I'll accept Jesus. But my brother, my sister, it's not a question of will you accept Jesus It's a question of whether Jesus will accept you. And you've been lied to. Jesus is going to accept you. Only if you allow him to purify you of your sin. That's what we're moving toward in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I want to share quickly one other statement from Colossians. I would also recommend you going to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter. Let me begin reading with verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What scares me about reading that is that many of you think you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. But if you'll be honest with me, you are still dwelling in the dominion of darkness and you are still walking in the wickedness of your sin. And you have become comforted by reading words like this from Colossians without any careful examination of your own heart to determine whether or not you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness or whether you still dwell in the dominion of darkness. Colossians 1 verse 15, speaking about Jesus 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, the problem we're facing today is that many of you are living in evil, worldly behavior, loving the things of this world and the lust of your flesh and the pride of your heart. You are alienated from God. But you don't think you are. And it's offensive to even suggest even to suggest that you need to look carefully at your life and ask yourself the question, am I still dwelling spiritually in the dominion of darkness or have I been taken out of the dominion of darkness? Have I been purified and cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Do I now walk in agreement with Jesus about my sin in the past? Have you been reconciled to Jesus? That is, do you say the same thing about your sin that Jesus said? And do you now come into full agreement with Jesus Regarding righteousness. Or do you still want to pretend that you can be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and still walk in the evil ways of your past? It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Are you holy today in reality in the sight of God? Without blemish, free from accusation. That's the hope of the gospel that we have received. And so we come to chapter 10. And again in review, verse 26 If we deliberately keep on sinning, that is, if we deliberately keep on living our semi-Christian life 
and we never begin to spend any nights of prayer. We never spend hours reading the scriptures and allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with the inner man or woman of your heart. If you continue to feast on the things of darkness, some of you are absorbed in Facebook, in the voyeurism of Facebook. You wouldn't know what to do if you couldn't go to Facebook three, four, five, ten times a day to see what everybody's doing and to tell everybody what you're doing. You are stealing from Jesus the precious time he desires to have with you. That relationship with Facebook is what he wants with you. And instead you're giving it to a a CIA-backed invasion of your privacy. That's the reality. Do you understand? Jesus desires. Jesus desires. Your time. Your attention. Your will. Your love. Your adoration. You entirely belong to Jesus. If you desire to follow him. And you give yourself to him. And he's saying, if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we deliberately keep on pursuing the things of this earth and of this world, if our time and attention is caught with the desire to become wealthy, if our time and attention is caught with all of the responsibilities and the cares of this world, and we're not focused on Jesus... There's no sacrifice for sin left for you, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? He's speaking here about men and women who would say, I am a Christian. And I have laid hold of the gospel. And I am saved. And he's saying, wait a minute. Have you treated the blood of Jesus like an unholy thing because you've said it has no power to, to make me righteous? It has no power to cleanse me? That instead some imaginary blanket called grace by the grace teachers covers me in the midst of my sin? And so When God looks at me, doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. What utter foolishness. God is not a liar. He doesn't play shell games. It says, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, please, the casual life of the American Christian, 
is not sufficient to find entry into the kingdom of heaven. When the gospel is used as an adjunct to an already full life, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me read for you the next verses. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Speaking about the old church, the ancient paths, where Christians, as is happening in Iraq and Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and China, where men and women are cast into prison, beheaded, beaten, raped, because they refuse to give up Jesus Christ. Their lives are sold out for Jesus. They accept the confiscation of their property. They, they desire Jesus. They're no longer of this world. They are of another world. Are you in that place today where you can honestly say, no matter what happens, I will serve Jesus. I have turned away from all sin and all unrighteousness. Some of you would think you were being persecuted if your computer or your internet or your television were turned off. You would think that was great persecution. Compare that with what I just read of the ancient paths of the early Christians. He says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Some of you have never had that confidence. Not even a little bit of that confidence. Instead, you've believed in that rabbit foot Jesus, that good luck charm, that sentimental, hidden, invisible friend. You like the hobby of the Christian faith. But that's not where your heart is. Your heart is in your job. Your heart is in the money and retirement. And you're not willing to give up anything to follow Jesus. You never have. The Christian faith has never been a source of Difficulty or pain for you because it was just an add-on of benefits to an already wonderful life in America.
says in verse 37, this is Hebrews 10, 37, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. I will not be pleased with him. Some of you can't even begin to understand what he's talking about when I say if he shrinks back because you never step forward. You became a follower of Jesus Christ in a cultural atmosphere where it didn't cost you anything to follow Jesus. What has it cost you to follow Jesus? Be honest with me. Has it cost you a job? Yes, for some, but most no. Has it really cost you much of anything? Oh, I'm not talking about what does it cost you to be a part of a social organization. You may have spent many hours working in that social club. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying what has it cost you personally to follow the person of Jesus Christ? What have you sacrificed for Jesus? What does it cost you? What has the pinch been in your life to follow Jesus? Now, I know some people, the cost has been very great. Some of you listening to this broadcast today know the great cost of following after Jesus. For you have listened to the Spirit and you have done exactly what he has told you to do. And it has brought upon you much trouble, much pain, much anguish. And I say to you, I love you. You are a fellow traveler on that narrow path to the celestial city that John Bunyan spoke of and that Jesus spoke of that, that narrow gate, that narrow path. It's interesting to me that the early church was not called Christian. It was called people of the way, literally people of the path the narrow path. Jesus said there's a broad road and there's a narrow path. The Christian church today has a few people on the narrow path and the vast majority on the wide broadway that leads to hell. There's going to have to be a a total reexamination of what it means to be a Christian in your life. Some of you have paid the price in Christ. You have been sternly disciplined. You've been to the woodshed many times. You know what it's like to lose family and friends for the sake of the cross of Jesus. And you know the joy it has brought to your heart to hear him speak to you. for him to give you direction. Mighty God, King of all the earth,
feel like a child today unable to speak. I feel tongue-tied and slow because I know I'm in your presence and I'm overwhelmed by your righteousness, by your love and by your mercy and by your grace. I want my brothers and sisters to come into that place with me of laying everything down at the altar, of no longer making any excuses for their sin, of no longer pretending they're Christians when they've never paid a price, when they've never been crucified, when they've never denied themselves. They followed a religion. They followed a preacher. They followed a church. They followed their own desires and their own thoughts and their own ideas, but they've never followed you, Jesus. Lord, I come crying out for them today. There has to be a change, Jesus. Everything is coming apart, Jesus, in our world. War is right on the horizon. Nuclear war where millions will die. Our finances are collapsing. The dollar is losing its value. Lord God, Europe is collapsing. Lord, everything is coming apart. I'm reminded of that passage that says the summer is over and we are not saved. Lord, I pray that by the time summer ends, we will be saved. We will be washed in your blood. We will be cleansed and purified and made holy. That a great army would rise up of men and women who will weep over their sin who will give up their pride and their arrogance, who will humble their hearts before you and say, Jesus, I must have the cross. I must be changed by a supernatural work of your spirit. I must be transformed into your likeness. I don't want my sin anymore. I hate it. I hate wickedness. I love righteousness. Lord Jesus, would you come and do that work in your people now? Would you bring the tears of repentance? Would you awaken and quicken and ignite a people who will serve and worship you in truth who will serve and worship you and pay whatever price is necessary to come out of the slumber and the darkness and the sin and allow you to accomplish the full work of purification that you desire to accomplish in the hearts of your people. Lord Jesus, come. Turn us from our foolish ways. 
turn us from our short attention spans. Lord, let us see the dire situation that is crashing down on America. Give us eyes to see in the spirit realm that we could begin to understand the plan of salvation, that we could comprehend, that we could apprehend the glory of righteousness and oneness with you, Jesus. Lord, don't let false spirits come. Don't let the kundalini spirit come among us. Don't let the false revival fire come among us. But Lord, do a deep work in our hearts. Don't let us be content with some cheap outward manifestation that some preacher calls the Holy Spirit. Lord, let a deep inner cleansing of the Spirit be done in our hearts. Lord, let the flesh be crucified. Lord, come in mighty power and turn us from the cheap shallowness of our culture and cause us to seek you with all of our hearts to cry out after you, to cast down the gods of this age, to cast down the entertainment of this age, to cast down the empty rituals of religion and seek you, Jesus. For, Lord, you are the answer. your mighty Holy Spirit, your precious blood, if they don't come and wash and cleanse and purify our hearts, all is lost for America and for the worldly church. Lord, come with your mighty power, with your mercy and your grace. Lord, I appeal to your love. I appeal to your love today, Jesus. To your kindness, to your mercy. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm... Ray Greenlee, I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come to the prayer chapel. If your heart is hungry for Jesus, he'll meet you there. Let me tell you where we meet. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. They rent a space every Sunday at 12 noon. We begin with corporate prayer. Come and join us. The address is All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. 
or go to our web page, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find directions for coming to the church. We're just south of Washington, D.C. on I-95. We're very easy to find and easy to reach. I invite you to come. If you are hungry for Jesus, if your heart is convicted, then come and worship with us and grow in the grace of Jesus. Now, I also invite those who would like to participate with me in this ministry and share with me in this work of the gospel. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're welcome to send tithes and offerings. Every penny will go to pay for this radio broadcast. We're pushing almost $4,000 this month. We go month to month. We are not listener-sponsored radio. We are Jesus-sponsored radio. And he moves in the hearts of those he chooses to bring their tithes and offerings. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. My brother, my sister, I know today has been a very straight message. I love you. I want you in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory.